There's a poem. Um, I think it's Adrian Rich, although don't quote me on this. But it's called Diving into the Wreck. And the very simple image of it is that a scuba diver dives into the wreck, uh, wreckage underwater. And in her hand, she has a book of myths. And it's like she's looking for something. And, and in the wreckage, and I think that it's the wreckage of one's own life, you do discover little treasures and gems. But the very end of the poem says that the diver recognizes that her name is not written in the book, which is another way of saying, I think, if I'm even understanding the poem, it's kind of a difficult poem. I think she's saying that um, when you go searching for someone else's symbols, mm. they they always leave you empty. The search is worth it because it takes you into the wreckage of your own life. It like gives you a map. But we think if we, the map is going to lead to the, you know, um, or it's like the, the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You know, we're going to follow that and there it's going to be there. But actually when we dive deep enough, we, re- we realize, oh, my name is not in this myth. And I am now responsible for uncovering the myth and symbols of my own life. These songs have your soul replaced every verse. I thought to myself, could the love get much worse if the light goes out? Oh, man. How you doing, man? Doing good. We haven't done this in a while. Are you hungry for some turkey? Uh, you know what? I had a little bit over the weekend, and you had turkey over the weekend. I did. I had we had a, a friendsgiving with some oh. of Jamie's former jazzercise I love um, friendsgiving. friends. Yes, my wife used to be a jazzercise instructor. Yes, she did. She. Uh, that is not how you met, though. I just want to clarify. No, no, no. no. <laughs> no. Although though, I did do jazzercise one time because she a said supportive if, guy. Well, of course, and she said if she if she made it through because the uh, uh, training thing that you have to go through in order to get certified to be a trainer. Oh, it's super intense. Take it seriously it's, over there. It's not like the Zumba. Okay. Jay Sizen. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, if you, if you make it through this, you have to audition and all stuff. And um, I was like, if you, if you make it through, I will come to one of your classes. And I went, and this is before I started working out again. And I thought I was going to die. <laughs> so it's a lot of cardio. A lot of cardio. Uh, so you had the, the jazzercise group over for a Friendsgiving, and you ate some yeah, turkey. Some I've turkey. not had turkey yet this year, and I'm really excited because I'm going to be getting my Alton Brown turkey brine on. Oh, you're, are you cooking it? Oh, I always cook it. If the, you, you guys don't even know. Adam is, is a gourmet chef. I'm not a gourmet chef. You are a gourmet I chef. I wanted to be a gourmet chef when I was in high school, though. You, I think, honestly, I, I, I'm not going to say you miss your calling because <laughs> you're very good at what you do. <laughs> But like it's it's definitely it's certainly like a, a situation where um uh she what's her name from Saved by the Bell who has her cooking show now she has it, a cooking show who yeah, you could who parlay has a cooking show from Saved by the Bell um, how do I now know about she this she was also on nine zero two one zero Kelly Kapowski has a cooking show yes what are you talking about Tiffany yes. Amber Thiessen has a cooking show yes I'm you're blowing my mind right it's now called, I think on it's the air dinner at Tiffany's I think if I remember correctly and it's really good she's she's legit man she can throw down in the kitchen. And she has like, um, like guests over all the time. Fifth grade, I had a like like a Teen Magazine poster of of <laughs> Kelly Kapowski. Yeah, in, you did in, in my locker. Of course, you did. Fifth grade, don't you dare judge me. Oh, deconstructionist audience, don't you dare judge me. <laughs> 
Well, I am my mind blown the other day because I didn't realize I didn't put two and two together. Like she called it out on the show. She had mentioned the fact that she spent a lot of time in two different diners. And I was like, wait, what? And then I was like, oh my gosh, she was on Saved by the Bell and 90210. Boom. Why did I never connect that? I don't know. So anyway. I yeah. love our rabbit trails that we just so have. So you no, can do that. Yeah, that's what totally I'm saying. That. Adam is, is an insanely good cook. I do. I love to cook, man. Yeah. I, I just love food. <laughs> I'm one of those people that like no matter how much money I had the rest of my life, I don't think I, I just don't care. Like house, car, yeah, watches, like <laughs> fancy stuff like that. Food and booze, dude. Yep. And friends, like, yep. you know, that kind of thing. Like anything that gathers people around, like gets, you know, everybody excited. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's fun stuff. Agreed, man. man. I'm with you. <laughs> I like eating and drinking with you, man. Oh, one of my favorite things to do. We, 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 we go to the Narlock's house. We sit down. Adam whips up this delicious gourmet meal um, and with this huge spread. And then we, he cracks some of his fine wine and pop we pop some music bottles. on yep. and we just sit around and, and hang out. It's a good time. It's wonderful. We're going to have to do that for my, my wife's 40th birthday coming up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody <laughs> out there in Deconstruction's land. Yes. Uh, we're happy to be here with you guys again. Hopefully you enjoyed last week's fantastic episode with uh, Caitlin, Caitlin Curtis. Curtis. Yeah. Really got a lot of love on that episode. So uh, if you haven't checked out her book yet, Glory Happening, make sure you do. Tell her we sent you. And we've got something really tasty. Yeah. Tasty this week. Yeah. I. <laughs> yeah. So um, this dude's book is incredible. It's called Bitten by a Camel. We got Kent Dobson this week. And for those of you all that don't know who Kent Dobson is, so Kent Dobson... Um, and Ken Dobson's dad, Ed Dobson, I Ed believe, Dobson. uh, helped like, like form, mm-hmm. uh, the, the church that Rob Bell was famous for. Yeah. Rob Bell worked for Kent's dad. Yep. And planted a church out of Kent Dobson's dad's church. Yep. And now, uh, then, and then Kent ended up taking it over after um, Rob left, right? after Rob left. Yeah. He was the worship pastor. And has just done some really unusual and incredible things around Christian spirituality, really digging into Jewish roots. And he edited a whole uh, like commentary um, of scripture, like with all this like great Jewish um, tradition and Hebrew tradition and knowledge in it. Uh, if you've got the name of that there, pull that up. Um, but he's just got some really great, great perspectives. And he himself has done quite a bit of deconstructing and reconstructing. And he's wise, and he is, um, he is here to talk with us about all the unusual things that are going on in our lives, in your lives, the listeners, and kind of everything that's been swirling around us in this whole conversation with some really neat, uh, fresh perspectives. And man, we really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, this, this is one of my, I think, one of my favorite conversations we've had this year. Um, so yeah, Kent, Kent is a scholar and former pastor, so he also left Marcel at one point. Uh, to, to go on his journey, and he guides wilderness-based programs designed to cultivate human wholeness and raise questions of the soul. So I thought that was super cool. It reminds me of kind of like what, what our good friend, Dr. Alexander Shia, does. Oh, my gosh. Um, Absolutely. Just finding, uh, finding the divine in nature, I think there's, there's definitely something um, yeah, you think, to be said for that. You think the divine might be in nature? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, do you think we ignore nature too much? I think we do. Not sure if the divine could be in nature. That seems <laughs> right? like a stretch. I know. <laughs> Diana, Diana Butler Bass would, would, would definitely uh, strongly disagree with that, right? She would strongly disagree. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so he, he leads uh, pilgrimage adventures to Israel. He's the editor of the NIV First Century Study Bible. That's the one. He's a busy boy. He's a really busy boy, and it's a good book. 
Mm-hmm. And it feels, you know what I like about it is it feels like it's written by a friend who may be a step ahead of you. Yeah. Um, a really smart friend mm-hmm. who may be a step ahead of you and, and you're reading it going, oh, yeah, you've, okay, so you've been there. All right, and you've got some things to say about that. Yeah. That's comforting. Thank you. Off topic, but I just had a really great idea. So like Kent and Shia both do these adventure tours or whatever. Uh-oh. One of my favorite shows of all time is Dual Survivor. So we should we should do that. Reality show with Shia and Kent Dobson. Just in the wilderness. In the wilderness. Like embracing the divine. Who can find more of the divine? <laughs> That's true. In a six-week adventure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and teach you how to light a fire with practically nothing on hand. Oh my gosh, that'd be so good. I love it. You're welcome. <laughs> that just happened. Hopefully there's a television producer listening to this right now, but um, we need to get to this interview because guys, um, just settle in. This would be a good one to like pour yourself a drink yeah. um, at night. You're going to feel like you're just sitting with some good friends, having a cup of coffee or a, a tasty beverage yeah. of some kind and just really hearing um, a lot of great wisdom and great perspective. I don't want to, no spoiler alerts. Let's let it all speak for itself. Um, Happy Thanksgiving. For those of you that are all jumping on and supporting us on Patreon, um, you are really feeding what are going to be some really cool things that happen next year. So thank you for that. Hopefully you enjoy your treats that John sends out for you with (laughs) TLC and love. He hugs every single one of those gifts. Big squeeze before he sends them out. Uh, Hopefully you're enjoying the book club. And um, if you need to know more about that, please check out our newly designed website, www.thedconstructions.com. Redone by the Ryan Battles. So good. Ryan freaking Battles. And there you'll find everything from social media to Patreon and everything like that. So give that a check. Thanks for everybody who's supporting us uh, on the Twitters and on social media and uh, the five-star iTunes reviews. We've been getting a lot more reviews lately, so thank you for that. Helps people find us. And uh, we're just really, really excited to give you guys some Kent freaking Dobson. So without further ado, Kent... Freaking and Dobson. All right, well, uh, Kent Freaking Dobson, welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast, man. This has been a long time coming. I'm so glad that we could finally make this happen. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So for, for those of our listeners who aren't maybe as familiar with, uh, with your work, uh, maybe give us a little uh, a brief introduction to uh, who you are and, and how you got into the work that you do today. All right. Uh, let's see. Well, I, I grew up down south um, on Jerry Falwell's lap. Um, and that's, that's not like a metaphor. Um, so my, my dad worked for him and then I went to, to Liberty Falwell school and maybe I had most of my body outside of evangelical Christianity, but maybe one foot still in it when mm. I, in those days. And, um, yeah. And Liberty was actually kind of an interesting experience. I, I had really good teachers and, um, in the courses that I took. And, but then it also has this whole weird, um, political, religious, cultural, I don't know, milieu mm-hmm. going on. Um, yeah. And then after college, uh, I got married and, um, right away worked with 
Rob Bell at this new church that was just starting up. So Rob worked for my dad. So my dad worked for Falwell and then Fall. Then uh, Rob worked for uh, my dad, and then he started his own church, and I did the music there um, for a while. Yeah, and then I went away to graduate school, moved to Israel, and ever since then I've been kind of like staggering in and out of things, mm. so in and out of the church world, in and out of teaching. I was a, a school teacher for a while. I taught religion and, and Bible. Um, and worked on a massive project called the NIV First Century Study Bible, which Zondervan did. Um, I did that for like four years as it, while I was teaching. And then eventually, Rob Bell left his, I don't know what he left. He left Mars Hill <laughs> in Michigan, but then <laughs> just went to L.A. and got some sun. Yeah, um, and uh, then I took his job and did that for almost four years until I couldn't do it anymore. Wow. That's like a really, that's like a drive through version. And then I wrote a book after that. <laughs> oh man, there's so many places we could touch just in that. Like you gave us an intro for our questions to intro back to you. So this is, this is like ping pong. This will be great. So is from a spiritual journey perspective, like um, I know you include a lot of this stuff in your book and we want to kind of dive into the book, but for, you know, maybe some listeners that, um, you know, uh, we've got a, a kind of a broad base of people that were raised, you know, in a certain way in, in the church or in Christianity um, and have, you know, since done some, some journeying outside or back in or whatever. But, we, you know, then we have other people that are agnostic or atheist or, you know, whatever. And, you know, it, describe a little bit more what your kind of spiritual evolution has looked like over the past, you know, couple decades. You know, what's that, uh, what's that been like? God, that's like, that is a hard question. Yeah. I mean, how, how does one map their own very slow evolution? Yeah. I don't know. You know, I was, I was thinking the other day about what amounts to a seminal moment in my life. When I was in high school, I was watching MTV live, uh, like, uh, unplugged. Yeah. And, and Pearl Jam was on nice. and I loved Pearl Jam back then. And I still do. How can you not? Heck yeah. Um, How can you not? <laughs> and so anyway, Eddie Vedder's playing a song and he stands up on this, on this stool, you know, in one of his weird kind of um, possessed states and takes a magic marker and writes on his arm, on his left arm, the words pro-choice. And for some reason, this sent like a chill through my body, just like this... I don't know. It was like a vibration. I was like, God. And, and it actually didn't really have anything necessarily to do with the political issue. It was something of, well, in Jungian psychology, it might've been a, a step toward individuation. Like, wait, who am I? Am I a free human being or not? Am I, do I have choice or am I, or am I just going to go along with this like religious landscape that I've um, been raised in. And, mm. uh, and, you know, I was in high school and, you know, uh, somewhat of a rebel and, and that sort of thing, whatever that means. Um, but I don't know that th this was part of the seeds of doubt maybe that were already residing in my, um, in my soul or something that I did not quite get, understand. And I could not say yes fully to the Christian world, to the church, 
and certainly not to the external issues that the church cares about, like whatever, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, all the political religious issues that Falwell maybe was concerned about. But but on maybe the more spiritual level, I could not put my full weight in the chair. But that took 10, 15, 20 years to keep working on me. Uh, some people maybe get lucky and they're like, you know, F all y'all, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, it was, it was maybe one step forward, two steps back, and then, you know, a sprint, and then a, <laughs> I don't know. It was more of a slow um, um, evolution. Mm. And I wanted the church to work, sure. I guess. You know, I wanted, I thought, for a long time, I thought, well, I've got the wrong conceptions of God. So maybe if I had a more Jewish God or, you know, if Jesus was more Jewish or um, if I could like really get into cultural context and, mm. you know, really get back to, I don't know, the purity of something or mm. clean, it, clean it all up from its religious mess. But you never, there's no bottom to that well. Um, and yeah, and, and then probably in terms of externals, I thought for a long time I was just in the wrong religion. So maybe I should just be Catholic or Orthodox or Episcopalian or, um, could just, God, I, I just, I want to stop making it all up. That's the way evangelical Christianity felt to me. We're just going to make up doctrines and oh, belief statements and even rituals like, ah, we'll just throw in a little of this and that and call it good. And that felt so empty. Um, but I, I could not find a home. A lot of my friends found a home. They're like, became Orthodox Christians or Episcopalians or Lutherans or whatever. I, I couldn't do it. Mm. So, um, I don't know. I don't know if that, yeah, like, like I said before, it's a, it's a hard thing to map the inner journey, but it has been a slow, I think, realization and coming to terms with the truth of my own life. And I think that's probably the path for everybody, the truth of their own life. What's true on the, on the level of the soul. Um, and when there are a lot of religious layers between the soul or the true self, that's what Thomas Merton would call it. Yeah. And, and, um, when there are a lot of religious layers, it's hard to, it's hard to keep excavating. Man. That's so good. So it sounds like, you had already started to wrestle with, with questions and, and, and really just kind of start to take de- a deeper dive, even as far back as university. Um, and so like, if we, if we look forward in, 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 into the, into your future, you know, from college into the time that you took over for Rob Bell at this, at this massive church, um, I, I remember seeing in, in one, um, a, a, an article, um, that was done on you right around the time that you were actually leaving. You had mentioned that one of the things that drew you to, Mars Hill was the fact that it was the first church that you had ever encountered where you could actually ask questions mm. and still go to church. So yeah. obviously there's still some questions that were, that were, uh, um, you know, that, that were still kind of rolling around um, in your brain. And, and um, so at what point did you decide like, you know, this just isn't, this just isn't working. I, I need to, to, to leave the church as a pastor and, and kind of pursue something different. Mm. Well, um, that maybe took a year or two, um, to come to, yeah. uh, and it included therapy and, hmm. um, 
and some raw honesty about what what am I doing? I, in fact, I wrote Mary Oliver's poem on my whiteboard, The Journey, which is the opening line is, one day you finally knew what you had to do, and you began. And I, I read that poem almost every day. Every day I went into the office, I looked at it, I was like, God, something is happening, and I do not know what it is, and I don't know if I've already begun or mm-hmm. if I'm about to begin. Um, and and this, the second part of that poem um, the, the continuation is, um, you finally knew what you had to do and you began though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice. Mm, and oh, oh. and I, I think the moment I realized that there are external voices shouting their bad advice. And when I stopped projecting all those, uh, it, it was true that external voices were shouting their bad advice, but I was also sort of putting that out there, like in a projection kind of sense. Sure. I was sh- shouting my own bad advice. Like, oh man, yeah. Just hang in there. Um, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Um, you're doing a good thing anyway. You're pretty good at public speaking. People like what you say, blah, blah, blah. You make a good living. Um, once I realized, no, I'm not going to, um, navigate my way through this my my ego or whatever i don't know just my persona is unable to chart a path forward that i it was sort of in a flash like nope i'm done and wow and i also i also realized too i mean some of this had to do with the same sex conversation i was so over talking about gay people i could not i could not bear it it had been three and a half years of the same exact questions and i felt completely stuck and and I was totally open with anyone who asked me what do you believe about this but we were trying to be this church that could be all things to all people sure and and I it had it just was really weighing on me and um and I realized that in one paragraph on a Sunday morning I could blow up a mega church wow and I realized I'm not going to do that that's somebody else's I don't care enough right. to draw a line in the sand and say, everybody follow me. Um, you could say I didn't have the courage, but no. it, I just felt like this is not mine to do. Mm. And what what then? So I blow up the church and half the people sort of become pro-Kent and half the people turn their backs. Right. And then what? I leave after two years. Right. You know, well, actually, I'm moving on now. Thanks. <laughs> um, Good for you, I, man. So yeah, that's um, yeah. But it happened at the kitchen window. I'm standing there. I just thought I'm not going to do it anymore. And two days later, I told the board, and the board said, "One week from now, you have to tell the congregation." And it was like as fast as I could get out of there. Um, yeah, they, I was out. I was gone. Dude, yeah. I watched that video. Um, I love. I think it was Tony Jones tweeted it. He was like, "The day Kent Dobson fired himself." no and and i know that's it sounds funny and tony meant it like a little tongue-in-cheek obviously funny and uh he's a friend and a good you know been a guest he's a good dude and uh i loved it though because it made me go back and watch the the video of the day that you did that and there was so can i just like i want to applaud you because you did it with so much grace and humility and maturity and honesty and you didn't feel the need to like give some kind of well-packaged, scripted answer. And I just want you to know, as somebody that was you know, in a similar situation, 
or soon to find himself in a similar situation, it gave me a great deal of hope that you were just like, uh, the best of my recollection is the thing that sticks out to me is when, when you just said like, I, I'm not called to the center. I'm, I'm called more to the margins. Like I'm called more to the edges and, and, yeah. and this just isn't going to work. And yep. dude, that is huge. Well, I mean, it comes with the territory. I mean, there's a certain amount of, I remember even one time, uh, um, one of the elders was like, look, at least once a month, you, you have to give a sermon that is about the center and why, and even more specifically, why this church is really better than the one down the street. That's the way the machine works. And I said, it might work that way, but you need to give that sermon because I can't. Mm-hmm. There are things I like about this place, but I can't defend the center. Um, I can't. It's like I used to work for a Christian school. And one time the, the principal said, you know, we understand that you keep stirring up snakes in the grass. That was his metaphor. <laughs> keep stirring up snakes in the grass. But every once in a while, you have to cut their heads off so Ooh. that everybody knows, you know, all right, we stirred up the snake, but I chopped its head off. Don't worry. And I just like, no, I can't do that. Um, I can't do that and sort of look myself in the mirror, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's almost like it saying felt. like, we're going to let you play around a little bit, but at the end of the day, you need to come back and like, do exactly what we want you to do. We're going to give people the illusion that there's some freedom here to actually like think, but we don't want them to actually think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened to Rob too. Cause Rob is, Rob is a funny guy. He's like, he's, and he's clever and he's good at public speaking and he says radical things in a funny way. And people don't really hear what he's saying. Hmm. Um, except when he puts it down on a piece of paper. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, what, what? I thought, I thought, you know. I'm sure we don't know what you're talking about right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Anyway. So a lot of this, you know, comes, comes in, you know, we're we're touching on concepts that uh, you, you cover in your book. You've got a new book out. It's fantastic. Um, it's, it's personal, it's, it's real, it's wise, it's, there's so much there. Um, and we're already kind of starting to touch on like a lot of the concepts that, that come from this. So it is to a degree autobiographical, but there's so much that everybody can relate to, which is what a good autobiographical, you know, book should do. Um, so why, like, you know, so many of these things happened so long ago, correct? Yeah. Yep. So yeah, the, the, the opening story is maybe 10 years ago. Right. Yep. So, so it's not easy to write a book, you know, especially one like this. So how did this, why did you write it? Why, why this? How did it take form? Tell us a little bit of the, the kind of behind the scenes of Bitten by a Camel, which everybody should, should definitely go grab. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, well, some of it was that when I lived in Israel and I was going to graduate school and living in Israel at the time. This was during the Second Intifada, so bus bombings and mm-hmm. conflicts with Palestinians and Israelis, and we, you know, we had a firsthand experience of that. And I was there with my wife and kids, and um, and we shopped and ate, and mm-hmm. you know, we lived there. We weren't tourists. Um, we were expats, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that was such a I think maybe an earth shattering experience that I maybe went into a little bit of um, 
spiritual PTSD. Wow. And and maybe even, you know, um, you know, there were some traumatic things that I saw and experienced and felt. And it probably took 10 years to really work through them. Even the kind of funny story of climbing Mount Sinai, looking for some kind of answer from God, which is the opening story, and yeah. then only to get bitten by a camel. That was... <laughs> Assaulted. It sounds like, yeah, assaulted. Exactly. Assaulted that by a camel. Like, <laughs> in today's political, uh, cultural climate, it probably wouldn't be a bestseller. <laughs> assaulted by a camel. True. You never True. know. You never know, yeah. man. Marketing is a funny thing. It is a funny thing. So, but anyway, even that story, um, it had to work on me, and and it had to work on me as a symbol of from my life. I mean, and that's, that's what I think a lot of spirituality really is paying very careful attention to the actual events of your life and what they symbolize. Mm. And sometimes it comes, you know, the events become a kind of symbol for who you are and who you are becoming. And that's why I had to reach back 10 years. Um, I'm not like a much of a blogger, like whatever is currently running through my, some of my sermons, maybe are more like blogs, but um, when it comes to writing, like, I don't know, it just takes me a while. So yeah, that, so the process was um, just briefly, Tony Jones and Doug Paget asked me to Christianity 21, this little event where you're supposed to speak for 21 minutes. And that was the story that popped into my head. And I had never really told that story publicly. And, and as soon as I was done, I thought, oh, um, Hmm. I could turn this into something. Hmm. It took me like another three years, but even the outline of the book was born in those 21 minutes um, and kind of what was collapsing around my own faith and theology. Hmm. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And then uh, Fortress Press, they were, kind enough to come to me and say, we think you should write something. And I gave him this as an idea and away we went. So there's there's this clear outline I think of you know from from the very beginning you know you, you talk about going to Liberty you know through through university and uh, and you know starting to question then and never quite feeling like you fit into the fundamentalism movement and that sort of thing all the way up to the point where you go into the ministry you go overseas and it, it just seems like you're you know it's it's pretty obvious you're looking for some sort of uh, a spiritual experience and I think a lot of us can identify with that oh yeah. Uh, um, I, I was born and raised Lutheran, and so a lot of the evangelical uh, flavor was was very foreign to me. And so when I went to college and and uh, yeah, met my friends and got involved in in some more charismatic uh, evangelical style worship services, <clears throat> I can kind of relate with you because I've heard you mention uh, the fact that worship music is not exactly your cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Was, is it anyone's really? Honestly, I was like, "Oh, this is just like cheesy rock music." Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> but um, but yeah, so there were you know not just obviously the worship music, but there are a lot of aspects to the service that were you know kind of a culture shock for me. And I remember 
um, seeing, you know, some very uh, tangible um, things that were occurring within those services, you know, like people receiving prayer and like getting visions and that sort of thing. And I remember becoming very frustrated saying like, well, I don't, why don't I get those as well? Oh, dude. You know, and, and totally. why can't I speak in tongues and, and all these sorts of things. And just still mad about that one. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get any of the gifts. I was really just kind of frustrated. Like, like I felt like this, uh, you know, this, the sense of um, seeking and, and wanting to know and, and having all these questions that were unanswered and then just having more questions that were unanswered um, just by, by virtue of, um, experimenting, experiment, um, experiencing rather, um, evangelical style Christianity. And so, um, I can also remember wanting to have this, this grand experience, something that would just knock me off my feet and say, there it is. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. you took it to the extreme where you went over to Mount Sinai and, and I know you kind of briefly mentioned it. Um, you're looking for this experience and you end up you know, essentially almost getting your arm chewed off by a camel. <laughs> you know, I mean, this thing had your arm in its mouth. And um, so I, I, I love when you, you were uh, talking about this experience on, on Pete Rollins' um, uh, podcast on his Facebook Live where it, you suddenly started to realize that maybe it wasn't going to happen in the way that you thought it would. Yeah. So at what, yeah. Point, what point did you, did you realize that maybe this isn't, maybe I'm looking at this the wrong way? Mm. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that, that is one of the moments, um, where I describe, I try to describe in the book, a wedge that was forming, or I think it had, it was already there, but I became more conscious of it. And the wedge was between what I was actually experiencing and what I was supposed to experience. Mm. And, um, and, and to be honest, you know, n- none of my so-called spiritual experiences have have in any in any way conformed to um, how I thought they were supposed to. Mm. Like, oh, I prayed all night and then God told me X, or um, you know, I really got into the worship music and the Spirit filled me, or whatever. I I just didn't have these experiences, mm. and actually, I didn't really. Um, I've I've never felt, you know, taken, I guess would be one way of saying it, yeah. in any kind of religious service. Mm. Um, and it takes a while to admit that. But but beyond that, in in my private life, like in one's own private spirituality, which is probably much more important than what goes on in, in a building, um, that was also not really working for me. Mm. And and I and I I was trying, you know, um I wanted to, for a while I was fascinated with Judaism and I really was like, I, I I was considering converting Mm -hmm. because it, it gave me what I thought I was missing was, um, I've always like doubted things, but there was this kind of certainty that came with Judaism that wasn't rooted so much in belief. Mm -hmm. It was like, no, we've, we live this way and we trust that that living this way is God is pleased with or something, but it's also good for us, good for the soul, good for community, good for, um, and, and there's a lot of flexibility inside Judaism, you know I mean? Yeah. It's, maybe it's, it's like Catholicism too, um, in that it can absorb a lot of diversity. Mm. And that was kind of, um, fresh for me. Mm. Um, and I lo- loved the rabbinic sort of 
question answer, you know, answering a question with a question kind of, um, Socrates sort of orientation. Um, but anyway, it's, you know, I just was so hungry and I, and it also was ancient, you know, just give me something ancient to do. Yeah. But that felt like after a while kind of play acting, you know, living in Israel, celebrating the feasts because that's what other people are doing. And, um, I was kind of a little bit caught up in the term I do not like at all, but messianic Judaism, where you have basically <laughs> Christians, um, who are pretending to be Jews or Jews, um, who, you know, somehow have some faith in Jesus, which is not a very popular community, especially in Israel. Right. Um, but anyway, I had some friends who were kind of like this. And, uh, I don't know. And they they did it with, with a lot of genuine, uh, commitment. And I, I respected that. Um, but I think it may, maybe what I'm trying to say is it took me a very long time to, to recognize whatever it is I'm looking for is not in any institutional church mm-hmm. and any ritual technique, whatever is not going to be some sort of golden ticket to divine encounter, divine experience, union, non-dual consciousness, whatever it is I was, you know, wanted um, or was longing for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see this. I see this so, so much, you know, in, in, in my time as a pastor and, and, and personally, if I'm going to be introspective, I think that so much of your journey and so much of what you go into and in bitten by a camel is so symbolic for so many of us, if we can start to understand symbol, which actually I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, but don't we all go to the bookstore or the iTunes podcast search bar or, you know, uh, a worship night or uh, a monastery or whatever, thinking that there is just some pool that I've missed. It's got to be deeper than this. I'm I'm not going to tell people I'm unsatisfied because that wouldn't be very popular. And then people are going to ask me to start confessing my sin and, you know, asking me about my spiritual life and asking me if I'm looking at porn or, you know, whatever. But there's just this, this, this paranoia and this, um, this like almost spiritual FOMO, right? Yeah. Like everybody's, mm-hmm. you know, quiet time on Instagram looks amazing. You know, you've got, <laughs> yeah. right. You've got your, I love it. Like I've, I've done, I'm guilty, man. I, I've, I have posted those <laughs> years ago. Bible laying out perfectly, cup of coffee, sun's raised, creeping Can- through the window. There's gotta be a candle in there candle in there. I think I've done it with a candle before. And like the, it looks like the freaking beams in like a, like a great, like Michelangelo or Da Vinci like a like, hipster monastery like painting. <laughs> and, and, and we're all sucked into this like spiritual FOMO and we're all walking around like looking for, we, we want depth and we're just not going to be honest about the fact that we're really not getting it. Yep. Yep. There's a poem. Um, I think it's Adrian Rich although don't quote me on this, but it's called diving into the wreck. And the very simple image of it is that a scuba diver dives into the wreck, uh, wreckage underwater. And in her hand, she has a book of myths and it's like, she's looking for something. Mm -hmm. And, and 
in the wreckage, and I think that it's the wreckage of one's own life, you do discover little treasures and gems. But the very end of the poem says that the diver recognizes that her name is not written in the book, which is another way of saying, I think, if I'm even understanding the poem, it's kind of a difficult poem. I think she's saying that um, when you go searching for someone else's symbols, mm. they they always leave you empty. The search is worth it because it takes you into the wreckage of your own life. It like gives you a map. But we think if we the map is going to lead to the you know, um, or it's like the 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 pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You know, we're going to follow that, and there it's going to be there. But actually, when we dive deep enough, we re- we realize oh. My name is not in this myth, and I am now responsible for uncovering the myth and symbols of my own life. Um, at least that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at I'm now. And, I like it, and and how I and that, and I think you know, I mean, it's long been said that religions are kind of the institutionalizing of someone else's experience, mm. and that's fine as far as that goes, because at least it says there are people who have had experiences. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Of, I, I get that. Depth. Yeah. Have depth it's it's possible. It's possible. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible. But, but just like, I mean, you know, what, what do we expect that if we um, go to the Jordan river and go under the water, when we come back out where the spirit is going to descend on us like a dove? Mm-hmm. Well, no, that was the experience that Jesus had. It's a symbol for him, and perhaps it's like there's some um, transpersonal symbols in that dove. It's not even a dove. It's just said like a dove, but whatever. There's, some, there's something in it that's important that's transpersonal, but that doesn't mean we go and do that thing. Like if I just did it that way down at that river, you know, wearing the special linen garments or whatever, I don't know, right, then right. I'm going to get the... That it's going to work magically for me. No, I don't think so. There's, so good. There's there's a religion professor I had in college who we spoke with when we first started this podcast. Dr. Ray Bryant? Yeah, who and our favorite quote by him, I think ever was uh you can either take your own spiritual journey or someone someone else will take them take you on theirs. Yes. And yeah. I yeah. You know, I think That's I think it. that jives with what you're saying. Um and and I think this is a great place because I think that that the uh, three of us probably share a lot of love for um metaphor and mythology and that sort of thing. I know you talk a lot about it. Um, and <clears throat> I, I think collectively the three of us can, can drag Peter Rollins kicking and screaming into, uh, some, some, some Joseph jo- Campbell, some Joey cams. Mm-hmm. I think he needs to, I think it's, I think the two were born JC. to meet. Yes. We're trying, man. Some Joey cams. We're trying. John actually <laughs> sent him a Joseph, Joseph Campbell book. I said, all right, Please. If I have to buy you this book so that you sit down and read it, because Pete talks about myth all the time. Math. And math. Math. Yes. We're not really sure. He might, might not be talking about Maybe math. Maybe he's actually talking about math. <laughs> <laughs> he might be on math. <laughs> also a possibility. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, so, we, so I, 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 think, um, I think there's a, the, a, lot, a lot that you say about, um, you know, you get into, I think, some, some hero's journey 
uh, stuff. And I, I know that you're also a fan of Richard Rohr. And I think Rohr does a, a really succinct job of, of talking about the hero's journey and, and how that, um, you know, that, that journey, that, that metaphor, you know, mm. transcends all cultures and religions and it shows up everywhere mm. throughout time. Um, yeah. Archetype. So, yeah. Archetype. And I, and I know you talk about that a little bit, so I, I would love to hear your thoughts on, on how important that is and yeah. how that plays. Yeah. Role. Yeah. Well, I think personally, my wife was pointing this out the other day. She's like, just don't forget how much Joseph Campbell rocked you. Ah. When I, when I first encountered him on the Bill Moyers interviews, I, I rented him from the library. Well, you don't rent. I, yeah. Whatever borrowed them from the library. Yeah. Watched several times. And I even came back um, to them just before I quit Marcel. I mean, I think they were like in my, in my psyche. And um, yeah, the, the interviews, especially, I just, I, I find so profound. But I think for me, it tapped into something that I knew was true because I was, a, I studied English in, in college. And that was also a love of mine in um, in high school. So just stories in general, stories and plays, and and I, I that was kind of the way I thought about the Bible. But I just didn't have quite words for it, you know, literature of the Bible kind of thing. Yeah. But as soon as he started talking that way about all religions, spirituality, and really great stories, um, I was like, oh my god, this. Um, it just resonated so deeply with. Mm. Um, kind of my intuitions and uh yeah and he's right and and i think with the hero's journey first of all um (laughs) i have mixed feelings about that word right now the hero's journey because first of all our culture is obsessed with heroes everybody who goes off to war is a hero right now um every like hollywood blockbuster has a quote hero's thread through it but Really, if you look carefully at Joseph Campbell's work and and even before that, Jung's work with archetypes, yes. uh, you have you have really two kinds of heroes' journeys. And one is the adolescent version. I hint at this in my book. The adolescent version is kind of like times got tough, but we were victorious in the end. We we defeated the enemy, you know, we got the girl. Um it's a, it's a winner's script. It's, it is about winning in the end, mm. doing, you know, sacrificing yourself, yes, but for the, the bigger cause and, um, you know, even, even saying something like make America great again has these kind of adolescent themes to it. We're going we're gonna to fight the good fight and be triumphant and we'll know we're the best because we succeed in the end. But that's not what Joseph Campbell's me means at all about the hero's journey. Mm. He, he says that you go out, the hero goes out and is dismantled, dismembered, mm. buried, dies. Um, all his illusions are stripped away. He's lost in the woods and nobody wants to talk about that. That's, that's, that's the, the hero's journey in its more richer nuances. And, um, and I think, America, I mean, here I'm speaking just kind of like as a ordinary, regular old citizen. I'm no expert, but it seems like we're even coming to the end of our own um, heroes, adolescent heroes myth, that we're the best, the brightest, the smartest. God likes us the best. We have the most money. Um, And really everything that we do 
Um, there might, you know, you, we might admit a few mistakes, but by and large, we've been mainly about the good and everyone else has been about the bad. That kind of whitewashed adolescent hero story has now come to an end. And, um, and that's why the culture feels like such a mess. You know, it's like, people are like, no, we got to go back. We got to recover the, the, you know, recover our story, you know, and other people are like, it's over, you know, of course that's what happens when these big cycles, um, start unraveling. And I think even my own spiritual unraveling is just partly because that's what's in the air. Mm. And, but Joseph Campbell would say, that's the thing that has to happen. Yeah. The, the egoic persona of who we think we are has to die, you know, go into the ground. We have to be embarrassed. We have to fail. Mm. Um, you know, and Richard Rohr is popularizing these themes with a book like Falling Upward, which yep. is like, there are two halves of life. And if you want to get to anything close to wisdom, you're going to have to fail. Yeah. Um, yep. And things are going to have to not work out. Anyway, no, I, I, I love, I love, um, where you go with that in, in your book, where you talk about, um, instead of kind of avoiding the chaos, pressing into the chaos or mm. turning towards the chaos. And if I could, um, pump the ego of my, of my friend here, <laughs> <laughs> Adam, Adam, actually it, it, that resonated with me, uh, specifically because Adam, um, he didn't know it was going to be his last sermon at that particular moment, but the last sermon he ended up giving was all about, um, embracing the struggle and pressing into the pain, um, you know, because life is not all about like just avoiding pain and suffering. Yeah. It's not the way it works. Mm -hmm. And I love how you, how you kind of say the same thing. Um, in, in like, we don't, we don't avoid the chaos. We don't avoid the pain. We, we have to push into it. If we, if we hope to learn anything or evolve or advance as a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. You have to walk toward the darkness and, and again, if, to return to Joseph Campbell, sometimes you need a guide. Sometimes you need to um, bump into um, uh, an archetypal guide that's going to lure you over the edge. Um, mm. And and a lot of religious language tries to keep people from falling off the cliff. Don't go any further. It's too dangerous. You're going to die. You're going to mess up. You're not going to be liked. Um, so it takes really a lot of inner courage uh, and a lot of trepidation to walk toward these darker things, to walk toward bits and pieces of your own shadow, to walk toward your wounds, I think is what we're really talking about. Um, and to allow our illusions to be dismantled by the mystery of life. Mm -hmm. God, who would want that? Right. Um, well, one wants it when they've reached the end, you know, um, I think I, I keep thinking about what I've been calling patterns of severance. I got that phrase from um, one of my teachers, Bill Plotkin, but patterns of severance. Why is it that some people walk out, leave, allow <laughs> their worldview to unravel, and why don't other people? Mm. Well, one of the patterns seems to be that you've actually had enough successes and you have formed a social identity in some sense. Like, for example, I made it. I'm a mega church pastor. I get paid for this. Um, I have tremendous flexibility. People know my name. 
Um, I'm married. I've got a house. Like I've succeeded enough. But when those social identities no longer make sense, Mm. like you, you can't identify as that anymore. That's when that's a pattern of severance. Then you're about to get kicked into the next phase. You know, you're, you're about, you're about to descend. (laughs) Um, and it's scary. It really is scary. And do you know the funny thing about that? Because, you know, so much of the language that we're using right now is, is really all we mean when we say deconstruction. Like, you know, we're, we're not talking about it in like the immature, like, you know, screw your parents and their religion and tear it all up and burn it down because whatever. And no, we're talking about like the language of the hero's journey. We're talking about um, one of my, actually one of my favorite ways to talk about this is like Nietzsche would talk about how he philosophized with a hammer because he saw so much BS in so much of what everyone was saying, not, not just religion and spirituality. Like he had a problem with Plato. I mean, he had a, you know, he had a problem with a ton of people and he'd say, you know, I, I philosophize with my hammer. I smash, I smash these idols that you've constructed. And, and so much of what we're talking about in leaving home or smashing idols or, or doing, you know, the things that you're talking about, um, is what we mean by deconstruction. And really it's, it's just coming to the point, like you just said, where you know that that thing that I, that I staked everything on Mm -hmm. can't, can't bear the weight of it anymore. And and to be honest, it's not something that we are trying to rush anybody into at all. Mm -hmm. Like, in fact, (laughs) now, now that we're starting to be like kind of known for having this conversation, if a friend kind of comes out of the woodwork and starts to say something like alluding to the fact that they're starting to become a little disillusioned or they're starting to like maybe start to drop hints that like maybe there's some questions they're starting to be willing to ask. I honestly start to feel bad for them. (laughs) Like my first (laughs) inclination is like, Oh no, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you're about to, you're, you're about to open it up now, man. Like, Oh, no going back. I'm not like (laughs) jazzed about it. Like, yeah, I want to kick you off the cliff. You know, here we go. It's it. There's an empathy there. Yeah, that's right. And I don't think anybody should be in the position of kicking people over the cliff. You can lure people maybe to the edge. You can say it's going to hurt, but it's also going to be okay. But just shoving people off, that doesn't do, probably serve. That's not, that's not very helpful. Maybe it's impossible really, but yeah. Um, yeah and, and I think I, I love this image with the, the hammer because I think two things were happening and I get to some of this maybe in the book. I did take a hammer to a few of the precious idols mm. of evangelical Christianity, like original sin, yeah, for example, that was or one of the my favorite parts of the book. I love yeah. that. And, um, but that's not the kind of deconstruction that was, or that's maybe one face of deconstruction. These don't work for me. I mean, maybe they, and they maybe never have, and I'm going to, I'm going to take my hammer to them a little bit, but there's also the mystery of a hammer that's happening in my own heart. That's it. I'm getting smashed a bit. I don't have the answer. I wish I could replace it with, and and that's what happens to a lot of people. They're, 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 they were fundamentalists and they smash up one little bit of fundamentalism and then they just quickly adopt another one, you know? Yes. Um, See that all the time, man. 
that's not a shift in consciousness and that's not allowing the mystery mystery of the unknown to keep smashing little bits of your <laughs> of your inner world up um and till maybe you're you know lost enough where you're groping around in the dark long enough where the little seeds of um of something new you you sort of stumble into maybe yes Oh my yeah. Goodness. I remember my therapist what, what said, um, I may have put this in the book. I don't remember. Um, but I, I said to him, um, I'm afraid that my life is going to fall apart. Hmm. He said, I'm, I'm here to make sure that that happens. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I mean, that, that's like an awesome response, but it was, I was like, Oh, I guess that's what we're talking about, you know? That's what we're talking um, about. And thank God I had a therapist like that instead of one that was like, well, I can give you some techniques for making sure you don't fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to let that happen. You're going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, so, so something real quick, because um, we've talked a little bit about this, but um, I think this requires a little explanation, and I've heard you explain this before, and you're good at it. So I want to kind of bait you into explaining a little something here. So you talk about events in your life and, you know, then by extension, other people's lives, people we read about, people we encounter. Um, having these events that, that have uh, significance, a meaning, and these events are real. They're real events. They really happen. Like you really climbed Sinai. You really got bitten by a camel. You really had, you know, the experiences in your book that you talk about. They were real events. But then the layer that you go to that I think is so critical that people start to understand is those events become symbolic. They become symbols that it takes a long time for that meaning to kind of dissolve and and for you to really kind of grasp that meaning. And then that symbolic meaning can actually have meaning for others. You know, most people have this false dichotomy of either it's symbolic or it's real. And I think you do a really good job of showing the synergy between these two terms, these two realities, these two ideas. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that. Hmm. Yeah. um, Maybe in some ways it's kind of like a dream. Like usually when you have a dream, when you first wake up, you you think your conscious mind thinks, well, that was a weird dream. (laughs) Like, or you think that didn't mean anything. Um, or I'm definitely not going to tell somebody that cause they're going to think I have a problem. Um, <laughs> most of my dreams, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but sometimes life is like that too. Like stuff happens to you mm. and you don't immediately think, Oh my God, this, um, maybe every once in a while, but, um, usually it's like, huh? Like, yeah, that happened to me. Like, yeah, I climbed Mount Sinai and yes, I got bitten by a camel. Um, but it's like, if you allow the, um, emotions, feelings, sensations to keep working on you Mm. and you, it's like, you have to stay curious about your own life. First of all, you have to trust your own life. And most Christians are told, do not trust your own life. You're, you know, desperately wicked or whatever. Um, in fact, deny your life. No, I, I would say trust the experience of your own life and the confusion of it. Trust the pain in a way. And also those unexpected moments of insight or joy, get, get really curious about them and 
Um, and I think once you do that, then the event itself, you start to tap into the symbolic, or perhaps you could say archetypal mm. um, elements. Like it is archetypal to climb a mountain looking for a divine experience. Mm. How do we know that? Because it's an archetypal pattern that appears in lots of religions. It appears all over the place in the Bible. And you could even say, it wasn't my idea to do it in the first place. Why did I do it? Because the pattern pre-exists. In other words, I, I'm not born as a tabula rasa. I came in with, the psyche comes in with a certain shape to it. Mm. And the psychic shape of it is that God is orient, oriented up. Now we know that like theologians, contemporary theologians will say, well, that's not really true. I understand that. But the way the psyche is shaped, mm. the symbol is sometimes we climb to find God. <laughs> and right. what do we find when we get there? And and it could be a cloud like Moses, or it could be a still small voice like Elijah, two very different experiences. So I'm almost like playing, you don't realize it, but you're playing, some, you're playing a pattern out. And then, but if you, and if you pay careful enough attention to, to it, it, bec- it can become a symbol. Mm. And here's a really good symbol. I'm looking for God. And instead I got bitten by an animal. And it <laughs> I love it. But if, great. But the the reason why, I mean, it's almost maybe best not to talk about something like that for a few years Mm. because the ego would love nothing more than to snatch that up and quickly make a, you know, uh, a book out of it and, you know, a model. Yeah, exactly. What everyone needs to do is climb and blah, blah, blah. No, (laughs) just, just let it work on you. And the ego wants to say Eureka. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but being curious would be like, why did I climb this mountain? Mm. What was I feeling? What was I longing for? What did I really desire? What, what was actually disappointing about it um, that I have a really hard time admitting? Um, and yeah, that's, I don't know, that's like paying attention to the events of your life. And, and it's almost like you stumble into the symbolic nature of it if you Pay careful enough attention. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Very good. Thank you. One of the other things that I, that I sense that I take away from that and, and, that I kind of found in, in your book as well is, is kind of examining what, 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 what is our vision? What is our view of God? What is our idea of God? And that's something that's been very um, interesting to me lately. Adam and I um, started a, reluctantly started a blog and we are not bloggers. We, we know that much. We are probably the world's laziest bloggers. So <laughs> we get, we get one out a month, I think, but but one of the ideas, I find myself writing down just random ideas, most of which are complete garbage, but... No, they're not, John. They're wonderful Well, thank ideas. you. <laughs> but one of the ideas that, that keeps coming back to me is something that I think you talk about a lot, and, and that is, what, how, how do I view God? What is my image of God? And, and, um, and do I need to let go kind of my past notions of, of the vision of God that was handed to me? And... Mm-hmm. So I, I think one of the things that that I really like about about what you talk about is that 
you know, there's there's a certain degree of ambiguity and mystery that we we just need to allow for, mm. um, and 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 letting go of of an insane degree of certainty that that brings us comfort. And I know one of the things that you talk about um, in your book is this idea of the loyal soldier, yeah, mm-hmm. which I love, and it, which is essentially, as you say, a, a protection mechanism. It's a way for us to to protect ourselves, to provide structure, which of course is important, you know, as a child, you know, when you're a kid growing up, you need structure, you need something um, to, to lean up against. But as Richard Rohr says, you know, it's, it's, it's necessary, but as you enter into the second half of life, you need to start to, to kind of push away from that kick, kick against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, may, and maybe not even kick against it, but thank the soldier for his loyal service because you don't, totally get rid of the soldier. At least that's my understanding of it. It's what is it? I'll just use a person example. So I'm raised in a really fundamentalist culture and I'm told if I don't believe that Jesus lives in my heart, I'm going to be tortured for billions of years. Yeah. Now, what is, what did I learn to do? I learned to believe that. Mm -hmm. And what, how did that help me? That helped me survive psychically because I'm told if this is not true, you're going to be separated from everyone you love and you're going to be, your skin is going to be on fire, but it's never going to, the fire's never going to be put out, all this kind of stuff. So even though I stopped um, believing that, that doesn't mean the soldier was not does not still live in me. And the soldier wants to keep me safe. So it's going to change its tune um, based on the sort of environment it finds itself in. It's going to quickly assess what do I need to do to be safe. Even when I was a pastor, I'm sitting there in elders meetings um, and I don't quite see, you know, or I don't quite believe or, but quickly I'm scanning the room. How, what do I need to say, say to be safe enough? in this room safe enough, which is another way of saying accepted enough. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the, the job of the loyal soldier. And once you recognize it as kind of a, something that's trying to protect you, um, then you just, you just treat it as kind of a, all right, this happens to me. Thank you for helping me survive. But if I'm going to grow up and be an adult here and, um, I'm going to have to step into the truth of my own life and I don't need your advice anymore. Um, I can have my own thoughts and beliefs and I'm not going to burn forever in, you know, some sort of lake of fire, whatever. That's kind of a a religious example of how the loyal soldier works. But one reason why I put it in the book is that everybody has these voices and we have to turn some conscious attention to them. If we're going to do the hard work of weeding through what's really true, what's really true for me. And um, so at least I found it kind of an invaluable part of the process, you know, and just to comment just briefly on what you said about images of God. um, Yeah. Part of the, at least for me, part of the journey has been um, a kind of unraveling of my basic images of God. It turns out, I thought I took that really personally. It turns out that's just true across the board. Yeah. Everybody has um, their ideas of God are formed in early childhood and have a lot to do with their parents. And um, and why would that not evolve and change along with everything else? 
Um, why would that stay static? And um, but it's it's a challenging place to be if you are allowing your own ideas and images of God to evolve, and you and you work for an institutional church that would like to remain very secure about what it thinks God is. Right. Um, yeah. Right. And that's why so few people really experience radical transformation. I'm guessing inside just, you know, I'm just going to church every week, just yeah. trying to believe, you know, just um, sending my kids to Sunday school and just, I don't know, that, that doesn't sound like radical transformation. Um, but I think probably the most important thing that I'm still learning is that I don't think one's understanding of oneself and one's understanding of God are holding hands. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, if your ideas of God are changing, your ideas of who you are are changing. If you're, or the other way around, if your ideas of who you think you are in the world start changing, you better believe your ideas and images of God are going to start shifting and changing. They're, they're holding hands. I mean, it's just, it's the way it is, which means it's freaking hard. Yes. (laughs) There's this, there's this quote, I think it's Augustine, that said, God is closer to me than I am to myself. And that always struck me as I can't wrestle with myself without getting closer to God. And I can't truly wrestle with God without a greater understanding of who I am. And, mm-hmm. you know, as much flack as this guy, guy gets, actually, when he was 19 years old, um, before he was, you know, a namesake of a horrendous tulip analogy. Uh, John Calvin wrote that, you know, the, the two greatest, you know, workings of the Christian religion are an understanding of yourself and an understanding of God. Yep. Yeah. Like, and yeah. I, that, that reminded me of St. Anthony. So he's desert father, fourth century. And a group comes out to see him and they want to know what the first most important thing is, you know, whatever, to find God or start this process. And he just simply says, know thyself. I mean, that's the fourth century, you know? And, um, that sounds like something, you know, a a decent therapist would say to you, um, or a good spiritual director. And yeah, so there's, there's wisdom. Um, and it's been there kind of hidden in the back corners of what has passed as Christianity. Um, but yeah, I think that more and more is the invitation. I think people are hungry for that. I think that's why people are listening to podcasts. You know, it's not just consumerism. There's probably an element of that, but um, they're consuming podcasts and voices and new books and um, new spiritual practices because they know they don't know themselves very well, mm. <laughs> and they want they want to start that process. Yeah, yeah, we get that sense too. We want to hear a little bit about um, kind of what you're doing now. Cause like we've been talking a lot about transitions and we know you're still like, you know, you didn't just write a book. You're, you're incredibly active and to transition into that, I think something that could be really valuable to our listeners when you start talking about some of that stuff is uh, myself included. There's a lot of people that have left the church because of this journey. There's a lot of people that don't find um, themselves at home and that's painful. And uh, I was wondering if you have learned anything that you could share um, that could be, you know, just, Good for people to hear. Uh, well, um, you know, the fact that the three of us are talking hmm. means that, yeah, people are leaving home, which means they're leaving a relatively 
safe and sometimes sentimental um, community. And with it comes loneliness. I mean, lots of people talk about if I leave, I'm going to be alone. And there's actually a lot of truth to that. Yes, you're going to be alone, but not that alone. <laughs> um, and I don't know, we sort of stumble mm-hmm. into one another and, and it's not so personal the, you know, the, you know, Phyllis Tickle's 500 year cycle, you know, or what Jung called the axial age, which is like about 600 years before Jesus with the rise of Greek philosophy and Taoism and Buddhism and all this stuff. Um, as an axial age, we're in another one of those time periods, which, which just means that everything is in flux and there's massive shifts and people feel lost. First of all, I would just say, yes, that means you're on the right track. If, if you're super comfortable and you've circled the wagons, you're like, God, I got my bottled water in the basement. We're going to survive this. You know, that's (laughs) not, that's not, um, that's not real soul um, change, probably. Mm. So anyway, yeah, it, it does feel lonely. And one of the surprising things, when I left Mars Hill, um, I knew my phone wasn't going to ring as much. Um, mm. And I was actually, I even knew that, but I was surprised how, how real that was. All these relationships that I had, you know, took up hours and hours in, of my life just dry up in an instant oh, because dude. I'm not, I'm not in a role anymore. Mm. So yeah, that hurt a little bit. Um, but then also I would get a few surprising emails. I found a, I didn't even know about this community. There's a community here in West Michigan called C3 and, uh, they like transitioned out of being a church about 15 years ago. They took the cross down, they sold their building. Um, eventually they hired for a while. They had an an atheist as their main teacher. So it's like a weird mixture of, um, it's mostly older people, but weird mixture of Christians, former Christians, some Jewish people, Buddhists, and just an unusual eclectic, uh, group of people. And so I, um, I started teaching there a bit and now I'm doing half the Sundays of the year, which I'm really, I'm really kind of excited about, but that was so awesome, man. Yeah. It was, it was so unexpected. Um, I wasn't even looking for it. And here there was a community that was like maybe 20 years ahead of me. <laughs> um, you know, I hear, I thought I was like, you know, look how progressive I am, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> um, in, in fact, one time um, we were, I was having a conversation with a few of them and a person used the phrase, they said, well, when we, this is when we were marching with King, I thought to myself, holy crap, you know, <laughs> what, what, oh what do you, gosh. yeah, no, they lived through, you know, through this tumultuous time of the 1960s and were part of it, part of the wow. progressive voice of change back then. So anyway, I'm learning a lot from them. So I don't know, there's like, there's loneliness and then there's like, um, some camaraderie in, in one's loneliness. It's like the ugly duckling myth, you know? Some of us just feel like we don't fit in, <laughs> but then every once in a while we stumble into the ugly duckling. I think is a swan in the in yep, the myth, yep. and um, you know, at the end, you know, there's a kind of surprise encounter with, oh yeah, there are more of us. Um, there are other people like me. So anyway, yeah, what am I doing? I teach at C3. I occasionally lead trips to Israel, and most of my other work is wilderness based. 
um, uh, underworld guiding, which is like a, a kind of a crazy term. I've been a part of this place called Animus for mm. a couple of years now. This is a place in Colorado, and um, psychotherapist named Bill Plotkin started it in the 1980s. So these are um, sort of wilderness, nature-based retreats and programs that are meant to deepen a conversation with soul, deepen one's relationship with the natural world. Um, and I've been really into this kind of work for a while. Now I'm in kind of their guiding program. Um, I think one reason I'm into it is because that's just what I'm into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have been since I was a kid. I, I felt at home outside and not in a church building. I just didn't know. Um, first of all, that's just part of the natural shape of the psyche itself. We are, you know, we've evolved and come to know who we are in relationship with the natural world. And that's one reason why people are so starved. Um, they're, they're starving spiritually in part because the appetite of the natural world is not being consumed mm-hmm. and nature mirrors back to us what we have a hard time seeing about ourselves. Mm. There's a reason why the desert fathers went out to the wilderness is because it mirrored back to them their own emptiness. Um, and their own thirst for God, I suppose. Um, you'd have to ask them, but I'm just imagine <laughs> just imagining that to be the case. But so good. Um, anyway, I love I I love both going on programs and retreats like this, but now also leading a few here or there, um, sending people out into the into the natural world and helping them listen to their own lives. And mm. it's a sacred thing. It's a sacred um, important thing. And I think. If I could exaggerate for a moment, I think the future of humanity depends upon um, a kind of return to uh, a more natural relationship with the wild world. And mm-hmm. if we lose that, we lose ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. um, like Gary Snyder says, to speak of wilderness is to speak of wholeness and human being came out of that wholeness. Mm-hmm. And so people don't feel whole. Yeah. It's in part, in part because, um, they're not in the natural world that, um, includes them in its own meta wholeness. If that makes sense. Mm. That is good stuff. Oh man. I know we're running out of time, but I think this just gives us an excuse to try to plan something in the future. Um, I know one of our friends, George Benson, who's from the area, um, had, had talked to us a while ago. He's like, "You guys need to you, you need to plan a live event in uh, Grand Rapids." And, oh yeah, and and get a hold of Kent and and see if he'd be interested. So um, I think this is a good excuse to try to get something together. Um, Let's do it, man. Let's stir some <laughs> stuff up. That'd be great. Yeah, and we're not that you're not that far, so no, Let's do it. no, about about three hours, I think. So. Oh, that'd be so much fun. Um, so before we let you go though, um, I know a lot of people listening are going to want to, uh, get a hold of your book and, uh, stay on top of what you're up to. So what's the best way to uh, get a copy of the new book and the best way to stay on top of, uh, what you're up to and and what you're working on? Yeah. Well, Amazon, this, uh, mega beast from the sea is (laughs) is the best way to get the book. So you can get the audio, you can get the digital, you can buy the hardback, um, yeah, so that's the best way. And I have a website, kentdobson.com, um, that I try to keep up with. But retreats, programs, um, all of the things that I'm kind of into, I 
try to funnel through their trips to Israel, that kind of stuff. Um, but that's definitely the best way. And there, there's a contact form on there. And um, yeah, that's the way to, to get in touch. Thanks for asking. Oh man, that's great. This has been so much fun. We've hit so many. I feel like what we did is like introduce like 10 podcast episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, we just touched on all these really great, you know, pools of, of richness and depth. And I hope that it just encourages people to, to get out there and and interact with your work and uh, the places that your work ends up taking them to other people and places. Uh, I wrote like six authors down <laughs> while we were, we were talking today. So I hope other people do that too. But thank you for giving us your time. Uh, this My has pleasure. just been awesome, man. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Um, I really support what both of you are up to. And it's a good um, it's a good thing in the world. It's a needed thing in the world, especially for those of us who are fumbling around in the dark. It's nice to... Uh, to stumble into something like this, it, it, it sort of says you're not crazy. You might be crazy, but you're not <laughs> totally crazy. Um, so yeah, keep it up. Thank yeah. you. That means a lot. Yeah. You might not be crazy because you're feeling like this, but you might still be crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> like <laughs> God made therapists. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, thanks a lot, man. Um, really appreciated this. We got to do it again. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Awesome, dude. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I think I just died of a broken heart And I can't stay here With the lies you swore And I can't lay here Between love and war Man, can he be like an honorary, like, deconstructionist i know i really enjoyed that ah there's just certain people that you know part of the reason we do this show is to expose ourselves to voices you know contrary to our own um in a way or just you know unique new perspectives you know a way of seeing things that we hadn't thought of before but then sometimes you meet somebody like like kent and you just feel just kindred yes kindred spirit and you're just like oh thank you for just yeah. Uh, it, being you. And it's it, his story is so interesting too because it in in a lot of ways it's similar to Rob Bell's where you know they they both were lead pastor at Mars Hill for a time, mm-hmm. this massive mega church and then at some point they just felt this this need to to leave the, you know, the church. Yeah. Well, not even really leave the church, but like not, stop being yeah, a pastor of a mega church. Right. And so yeah, leave the church. But like but still serve the church in a, in, a, in a different way. Maybe they didn't even know what that was going to look like All that when they left. gets so tricky, doesn't it? It does. All that language gets so tricky. The whole, the whole, the, the world's the church, right? So like, oh man, you know, so like, so, so he's, he, he goes on this, uh, you know, the spiritual journey, um, years back and it, well, he, he goes on this journey anyway to, to try to experience a spiritual yeah. awakening Find or the spiritual divine. moment. Yeah. Ends up get, literally getting his arm swallowed by a, by I mean, a, it's so funny because like what a metaphor. <laughs> it's really funny. It's so funny. I, um, I appreciated so much about just the honesty in his story that, you know what? There's an aspect of life where somebody has given us, or even almost like inception style, like planted a seed that, either 
life or spirituality or church or something is supposed to look like, feel like, smell like, taste like, or vibe like this. Yeah. Like it's supposed to be this. And then, you know, this is the goal. This is what we're all trying to like go for. And I know a lot about this, like from my own personal experience, it's like good Christians look like this, know these kinds of things and feel like this and blah, blah, blah. And before you know it, you are just emulating um, an expectation that somebody embedded. Yeah. <laughs> and what you, you end up going to Mount Sinai, literally or figuratively, yeah. and climbing it only to realize that you just feel kind of let down. Yeah. Or God sends you a sign that doesn't look like the one that you expected. That happens a lot of times. God's like, I'm going to have this camel <laughs> swallow your arm up to your elbow. <laughs> what do you think about that? Oh, there's so much richness in that. I don't even want to like overanalyze it. I just kind of want to let it speak for itself. But like, I just feel like so many people, part of their deconstruction comes from just sheer disappointment. Yeah. And disappointment is like, what is what does Richard Rohr say? Every every uh, every expectation is a disappointment waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, like it's the whole everything belongs, like the naked now kind of just no, like the divine isn't something you need to look for or achieve or work up or nothing. It's just it's here. Just calm, just chill. Yeah, you need to chill. His his ability to. Um to use that as a metaphor, mm. you know, the, the, the being bitten by a camel and, and like use that as the foundation of this book is just so clever mm-hmm. and so profound. And I know he doesn't get into it in, in great, great depth on our interview, but um, if you haven't heard um, his interview with Rob Bell on, on the Robcast, mm-hmm. like definitely listen to this one for sure. Go check out the one. I on prefer Robcast. the one with Pete Rollins too. Oh, maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. I think that's the one you told me you listened to. Yeah. So okay. Pete Rollins actually has a podcast. Yeah. I don't know if people even know that. Is that is it just called the Pete Rollins podcast? I think so. Let me pull it up. Pete's been Pete like Pete started it forever ago. Our boy Pete, and uh, and then he didn't like he didn't do anything with it for a while, and now he's really getting back into doing a lot of these Facebook Live. Um, almost like it's almost like I almost feel like it's like a class almost. You know, like it's he has so a good. topic. Yes, yeah, he's called he, Peter Rollins. Yeah, he puts up his pyro seminars. He puts up all kinds of other things. Anyway, there is a episode with, and it's just a great conversation between him and Kent Dobson. Yep, from July 29th. Of this year? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's so good. You guys need to check it out. But like Kent is one of those guys, connect with him. He, yeah. You know, he'll, he'll respond back. Hit him up on Twitter, like whatever. He'll respond back. He wants to interact. He's, he's, a, he's one of those guys that like, we're just lucky to have on the show because he's got so many good things to say. I mean, that interview, I, I already want to go back and listen through the whole thing. Yeah. And, and uh, we're really going to try to make it happen, but like um, we've been meaning to get back to our second home in uh, uh, Grand Rapids. Oh, Grand Rapids. Such a cool town. And Such a cool town. He's still there. You know, he's still from there. And uh, so we're going to try to make some sort of live, coordinated live event happen with him at some point in, in this year. Um, some kind of deconstructed get together. Yeah. yeah. Like we're trying to figure out what that's going to look like. Do you guys have any ideas? <laughs> Send us some ideas on what, uh, we don't, what we don't want to do is like, we feel like a lot of get togethers end up just being the same sort of conference mentality. 
that's basically like church, but it's not church. Uh, here's your speaker. Here's some music. You sit there, you know, do what, you know, basically we tell you to do. And we want we want something different. We want something interactive. We want something, um, you know, disruptive. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't know what that is, though. Although I, I'm all for emulating or like uh, uh, doing some sort of like deconstructionist comedian. I think that would be pretty sweet. Oh, yeah. We bring in some like legit unleavened bread oh, and yeah. some, some wine. Dude, I'm all about the sacrament. Yeah. That'd be pretty it's sweet. a beautiful thing. It is. So what, me- what music we got here, man? Oh, man. So, all right. This guy is freaking awesome. and So good. If you, if you haven't heard of this guy before, um, he's from good old Canada. Uh, <laughs> I honestly like have this this deep deep love for our Canadian brothers and sisters. Like I know they're. I mean, it's not, and I don't think it's a stereotype to say that they're all just so nice. They're like so nice. I'm sure you have jerks up there too. I know you do, but like you're not known for it. You're not known for it. <laughs> and we could learn some things. You're known for Sarah Bessie. Sarah Bessie and that that handsome devil you have as your prime minister. Um, such a handsome devil. Trudeau, who can like, yeah. <laughs> have you seen the video of him like dropping some knowledge on like, it was like computer science or something weird. And I was just like, he's like, I could talk about this all day. I was like, I don't, I don't know what you just said, <laughs> but it was impressive. <laughs> but anyway, so this guy's from Canada. He's a, um, he's a phenomenal musician. His name's John Bryant. Um, super cool guy. Uh, apparently listens to our show. I had no idea. Thank you, John Bryan. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, just super, super nice guy, phenomenal musician. Um, so if you like bands like city and color and, um, Ray LaMontagne, that sort of thing, it kind of has that vibe to it. Americana um, rock. Well, I mean, at this point in the show, you would have already heard it. So right. right. <laughs> so good. But check him out, um, and as always, please go out and support those musicians. Um, they're nice enough to give us permission to use their music for free since we don't have a budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, like, you know, go go check them out. Follow them on social media. Go buy their music. Um, tweet at them, whatever. Let them know that we sent you. Um, yeah. It helps us get other musicians. And uh, and as always, um, thanks for your support in general. Like the Patreon campaign has just been absolutely phenomenal. It brings me. So much joy to like pack up all that stuff to ship out. Like so I always have this joy, giant stack of like shirts and buttons and books and whatnot. So ready good. To go out. So it's so much fun to do this. It is. Yeah. You you guys don't even know. We're we're all creating something together that um, is going to last. Yeah. This is this isn't going anywhere. This this kind of conversation. Uh, we're one of many. Yep. And it's a it's a spirit mm-hmm. that is going to continue. And, you know, plugging away as we do just to like get new voices on and try to encourage you guys to have conversations. Like, please be having conversations. Yeah. Tell us about those conversations. What kind of conversation did you have based on this episode with somebody um, or another episode? We want to hear these stories because this is, it is all about um, not being afraid anymore about where you are or where you're going or anything like that. But it's just about being here and just engaging and enjoying it. And finding that to be in itself uh, a worshipful experience. We have got so much good stuff cooking for you guys for next year already. Don't even know. Don't even know. (laughs) And it's going to be so much fun. So just continue to be kind. Continue to be good listeners. And uh, continue to uh, have these types of conversations. And thank you for supporting us in our endeavors to make these spaces um, possible. Keep keep sending us uh, pictures, too. I love seeing pictures of you guys wearing your gear and... 
and uh, or like conversations like I've seen people posting, you know, notes that they've written down after listening to an episode. I think that's super cool. Um, our pal uh, Melissa Kircher, yeah, um, who oftentimes will, like will be inspired after an episode of not just our podcast but a bunch of other podcasts, and she creates art based off of um, just her her visceral experience to to listening whatever the conversation was and just create some phenomenal art. So yep. check her check her out on uh, Instagram too because she posts she usually posts it afterwards and she had a really cool one for last week's episode. So yeah, put that in the show notes. For sure. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. We love doing this. And um, thanks to Kent Dobson for being with us. Definitely check him out in the show notes also. And for now, we are your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. Keep deconstructing. Do I break all the rules or draw back to the line? Here I wait for a light burning minutes in red. There's a road of desire from my heart to my head I go round and round and I'm losing control There's a road from my heart to my head And it ebbs and it flows Are we any closer? Our hearts growing fonder Oh, as the road gets longer I can't put to words just so much that I want her to leave And run away with me Am I dreaming too much? Am I bending the truth? Oh, I can't trust how I feel When I'm staring at you Here I lay for the night While you throw up your arms Cause I traded it all For these trenches and charms There's a road from my heart to my head, it's in deep flow.